Good morning. We're reading from Galatians 4, starting in verse 12. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that, if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out, that you may make much of them. It's always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Good morning, church. Thank you for reading, Daniel. Uh, Let me just go off script for 30 seconds here and just say how grateful me and my wife are to be part of this body. Uh, grateful that I'm part of this, this church family, grateful for this position, grateful to serve alongside shepherds that care about this flock. Um, I just want to extend gratitude, 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 so, so thank you. Um, yeah, so anyways, so, uh, so I, was driving, I was driving home after reading through this passage the first few times and was just listening to the radio, and what became apparent as I was jumping from channel to channel, was there was a pattern of just self-destruction that came up in a couple of these songs. So one vocalist was singing about the current situation being a mistake that he found himself in over and over again. Another vocalist describes a pattern where he puts himself closest to those that actually hurt him the most. So it's in this world that is driven to seek happiness by any means necessary. And sometimes, uh, despite the consequences, that Paul's words are especially going to have relevance to us today. So in order to understand this passage, I think think there's going to be a couple things that are going to, to bring clarity here. First, we need to understand the audience. The audience, as Paul is going to tell us, is brothers. That's how he opens in verse 12. So he says, they are fellow heirs with Paul. So they are partakers in the promises of God. There's a sense of unity. Their identification as brothers is now in Jesus Christ. That identity has usurped their national identity. They are no longer seen primarily as Jew or Gentile. There's brotherly affection. And that's going to be evident as we, as we dig into the passage here. But that brotherly infection is going to sometimes look like tough love. So though they've returned to some of the rituals, the Galatians are also free from the law, just like Paul is. And we've been talking about the law in that it's insufficient. It points out our flaws, our limitations, but it doesn't provide a means to save us. So instead, it works as a pointer to Jesus who would ultimately bring life and accomplish the saving work which deviation from the law required. 
So one thing we need to understand is the audience. Another thing we really need to understand here is the tone. So I usually don't watch TV. Uh, when I do, occasionally, I like actually to watch crime shows. One of the crime shows that I watch starts with a 911 call. So the 911 call might sound like someone just broke into my house. Uh, they're in the living room. Are the bedroom doors locked? Where's the dog? And you kind of hear they're, they're rattling around. So it might, so when, when we're hearing Paul here, we need to hear tone. We need to hear emotions rising. This is an intense situation. We also need to see in this passage that these aren't thoughts that are strung together in a logical sequence. But we do, we will get the, the right information here. The other thing that is really, really important that we need to understand with Paul's tone is that if immediate action isn't taken, something tragic is going to occur. So we need to hear Paul's tone as emotional and urgent, but not necessarily linear in thought. So it's with this that we're going to approach God's word. It's with this that Paul says, and I'm going to start in verse 12, become as I am, for I have become as you are. So because the audience is his brothers, Paul can tell them to become as he is. What does he mean by that? Paul has been given the means to escape from the bondage of the law, just as the Galatians have. Paul has become as they are by adapting in their context. There's a, there's a difference, though, here. There's a difference in how Paul has become as the Galatians are and Galatians are as Paul is. What's, what's the difference? And this is crucial to us understanding this. The main difference that Paul is going to hammer home over and over again is that he will not compromise the gospel. So then the passage gets into former treatment. I'm going to pick up again in verse 12. This is what God's word says. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. There's something about Paul's condition that made it inconvenient to serve him. In fact, these Galatians received him as if he was Jesus Christ himself, he says. But you can see here, there's exaggerated speech. Emotions are starting to rise. And then we see things start to change. Verse 15. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Something has changed, clearly. And Paul is going to pierce through their change in behavior with a simple question. In verse 16, he asks, Have I then become your enemy by telling the truth? Remember, this is an emotional plea where if there isn't a course correction, there could be a tragic outcome. This must be something serious 
that can turn the Galatians' brotherly affections towards Paul into seeing him as an enemy. So it can't be, this can't be just semantics. This isn't a minor detail. This isn't an academic debate. The truth is at stake, not part of the truth. It can't just be Paul inserting his own truth here. Because if if the truth is only reality to Paul, then why would someone else consider him an enemy if that was just his truth? It can't be, I don't think Paul would say, well, they got the gospel mostly right. I probably would have just clarified this one point. I probably would have just said this a little differently. That, that's not the tone that we're reading here from Paul. Something is urgent. Something tragic is going to happen if there isn't a course correction. So what Paul is demonstrating clearly in this passage, Paul is demonstrating that the truth of the gospel is worth it. The truth of the gospel is worth it. What is this truth? It's the truth that Jesus Christ came to restore a fallen creation. One that puts itself back into bondage over and over again. The Galatians are returning to a law that could only shine a light on their limitations and not provide a means for salvation. Humans, us, all of us try to create rules that bring life, that gain control. But really, what it is, is it's an attempt to steal God's throne. It's an attempt to enthrone ourselves on God's seat. What's at stake for Paul is the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, paying for the sins of the world bringing freedom from the bondage of sin and death. So what is Paul willing to sacrifice? Is he willing to sacrifice his relationship for this? What is he willing to preach the gospel for, even in poor health? For what is Paul willing to endure persecution even from his brothers? Ultimately, Paul will endure for a gospel that is by grace alone. Paul is willing to endure for a gospel that is by grace alone. To better illustrate this, um, I heard recently in the news about uh, the Blue Origin rocket and and them selling a, a seat to the highest bidder. So imagine I'm given this as a high-priced gift. This is something extravagant that I could never possibly pay back. So, my gift is, I I know some nice friends, they say, you get one uh, seat next to the most famous names in the world on the Blue Origin rocket. You'll be one of the first people to take this flight. That's a stepping stone to putting humans into space. Valued $28 million. Here's the gift. There's a couple ways I could react. The, the first, I could say, I'm overwhelmed by your kindness. Uh, I'd be ecstatic to join this flight and to be a part of it. I'd be glad to accept this gift. I count the cost 
of whether or not I'm willing to risk my life to embark on this journey. After thinking through, after counting that cost, I accept I'm willing to go. There's another way that I could react to this. I could say, I'm overwhelmed by your kindness. I know I couldn't afford this, but I just wanted to give you a $20 bill. This is me paying my way. Happy to help. But we can see how ludicrous this would be. So am I really trying to say that I, I contributed to getting my way on this rocket by flashing a 20? There's no way. In a similar way, Paul won't allow the gift of grace to be cheapened. He won't allow it to be cheapened specifically by false teachers adding works into the mix. He won't let them pull the Galatians back into an idea of meriting God's favor. When grace is distorted, so is the gospel. But this is something that we still see today. Clearly, in a few places. I think something that everyone in this room has possibly heard at one time is, you know, I believe in, I believe in God. I, I think my good works, I think they'll outweigh my bad ones on the day of judgment. But Paul's view of grace exposes this statement. How can our works possibly pay for a debt where God himself had to take our place when he sent his own son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross? When grace is distorted, so is the gospel. Another thing that all of us practically think, even if we don't verbalize it, I think God is pleased with me because of church attendance, my devotional life, my ability to really conquer this sin. If we view grace as a gift, we must also see the means he gives us to demonstrate obedience as a gift. I'll say that again. If we view grace as a gift, then we must also see the means he gives us to demonstrate obedience as a gift. But you see how we can fall into this trap of grace plus works. The warning from Paul isn't just for the Galatians. It's very much for us today as well. So Paul will die on this hill. When grace is distorted, so is the gospel. The addition of works is a distortion because it leads us down the road to legalism. Legalism is the tragic outcome. It brings restlessness, hopelessness, and despair. Paul is putting up the stop sign, and he's telling the Galatians, do not pass. This is the emergency. He is encouraging the Galatians to not follow the false teachers they are hearing, to merit and thereby devalue grace. So what's Paul's aim? We've discussed some of the guardrails that Paul's using to help his Galatian brothers, help them to walk faithfully. But where's the road pointing? For what purpose 
is he in the anguish of childbirth? That's in verse 19. For what purpose? That Christ is formed in us. That Christ is formed in us. So another way that Paul talks about this elsewhere is being formed into the image of Christ. God's word tells us similarly in the book of Romans to be conformed into the image of his son. And I'm looking in Romans 8, 29. So for what purpose are we told to, to be conformed to Christ? In order that he, Jesus, might be firstborn among many brothers, us. So what's the aim of Paul here? Paul is communicating that we are adopted brothers of Jesus Christ. He's also telling us to conform to the likeness of Christ. And to put that simply, he's telling us to look more like Jesus. So why does this message give us hope? Why does conformity to Jesus Christ give us hope? Christians, God does not evaluate you anymore on a performance basis. You're already a part of his family. There's nothing more you could do. There's nothing you could do to make him love you more. And then the flip side, the warning, don't fall back into the bondage of works. Christians, you're not alone. God has given you the Holy Spirit as you're molded into his image. He's also given you brothers and sisters as part of a faith family. The warning, don't isolate yourself from the body of Christ. Christians, the best life you can live is one that seeks conformity to Christ. Don't believe the lie that says that life comes through the law. It's already been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And if you don't know Christ, or as Paul would say, if he doesn't know you, everyone realizes that there's only so much that we can control, especially as humans. Adding additional protocols to bring safety or comfort, they're band-aids. They don't last. An inability to follow our own law, let alone God's law, is evident. No human can attain their own standards, how could we possibly attain God's? If you don't know Jesus, there's freedom, there's joy, and there's peace in following him. If you don't know him and you'd like to follow him, I encourage you or bring any questions. Talk to me, talk to a fellow pastor, talk to who brought you today. That's why we're here. And for all of us, I think Paul's letter is clear here. This serves as a warning. Don't distort grace. Be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Will you pray with me? Father, I thank you for the words from Paul that gives us pause. It gives us pause to value your truth gives us pause to not distort your truth, gives us pause to praise you for loving people that consistently try to merit love 
which we can't earn. Please mold us into the image of your Son through the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray this grateful that we have a King who hears our requests. And all God's people said, Amen.